the key thing is that we don't want to stop the stress response in the body. If we're in highly competitive environments like real estate, I need the accelerated response. I need you to, you know, work fast, work hard, be highly focused. That's just the nature of what we ask. We just want to have the tools and the techniques and to identify those early warning signs quicker. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for Real Estate Industry Sales Professionals, Property Managers and Leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To download your written action guide from this podcast containing extra tips, links and shortcuts, visit EliteAgentElevate.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, Visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate Podcast, where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Samantha McLean, editor of Elite Agent and host of today's show. My guest today is stress scientist Chris Wilson. As the managing director of iPro Australia, Chris helps executives accelerate their performance while preventing the dreaded burnout. So Chris, welcome to the show. Nice to be here, Sam. Thank you. It's great to have you back in the studio. For our listeners out there who haven't met you yet, you were recently a coach on the LJ Hooker Accelerate program, but you and I have known each other for a bit longer than that. We were accountability buddies in another coaching program that we were doing. And uh, fun fact, you also happen to be married to a real estate agent, which gives you a pretty interesting insight into the industry. I I did. I married into real estate. Who would pick that one? (laughs) (laughs) From an outsider's perspective, what strikes you as unique about the way that agents work? Yeah, so the accent gives it away. We're poms and we come over. So we took the opportunity to come to Australia. And Kate's 20 plus years in real estate in the UK, majority of that. And coming over here, it's a completely different animal. And you are a, a business under a brand. And we, you know, the credit debit system and everything else was just a whole different landscape. And lots of agents that work under the same brand, but are all fighting in the same postcode for for the vendors so it's a i think it's a fantastic industry i really love it uh, from an outsider point of view but also i get to see behind the curtains and the dark side of what happens in sales but also property management because i've now worked with a few different agencies so it's very much an industry of highs and lows extreme highs and extreme lows yeah, and sales are like that. And, you know, we've got COVID and, and that's a low and everyone panics. And all of a sudden we're in a rural regional town in South Australia. Booming here, booming. House prices are going through the roof. 20 plus viewers on a property. That means up like 14 people have just lost out. So there's demand and drive and momentum down here in the Florio. So it's, it's great. So let's talk a little bit about what you do. You come from a coaching and mentoring background and you work with a bunch of elite performers. So who do you work with and what sort of strategies do you generally look at? When I work with real estate agents, I've worked across, I've worked with teams, I've worked with head offices. I've also worked with individuals who are either number one agents and want to keep driving and pushing forward and build a team around them or you've got the inspirational emerging talent who I said, I really want to have a trophy in my hand and be a number one agent. 
And so what we look at, if you look at those you know, multiple different layers within real estate, we create strategies to allow them to follow their path. So we use physio physiological markers, we use perspective markers. So we start to look at subjective scores, uh, where they're at right now and where they want to be. And then my job is to be able to guide them to be able to sustain that level of performance. It's interesting because I guess there's a lot of coaching that happens in the real estate industry from people that perhaps aren't as qualified in physiological markers and stress markers as you are. And what have you seen as some of the big problems in the real estate industry when it comes to stress? Oh, that's a beautiful question. So the reason why I play in the real estate space is because I was watching young men and women, talented young men and women come into a beautiful industry where you've really got a license literally to write your own legacy. You can create beautiful offices and opportunities, but what was happening was they were being thrown under the bus. The, the, pay, the sheer pace and weight and demand on young men and women without the skill set around how to manage themselves. So, okay, so we get systems and processes. We get, you know, how to organize your day and your vendors and your portfolios, but no one was looking after themselves. And it was an industry that demanded that we keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And if you break, you simply can't handle it or you don't have the right resources or you can't cope. And it's a bit of a shame because we spend a lot of time building up our teams and then we lose them. And we normally lose them to our competitors. <laughs> and sometimes it's a case of somebody sort of feels like they're stressed in one job and they go to another one and then find out that the grass is actually greener where you water it because exactly. the cycle happens Beautiful. all over again, yeah. We would talk about that a lot. So if when I speak to agents and they decide that they don't want to be in the real estate agent industry anymore, okay, fair enough. So I've always wanted to be a horticulturalist. Okay, go away and play with the grass. If someone leaves your brand and goes to a competitor's brand in a completely different postcode where they're technically starting again, then I would say that's a leadership issue. Mm. Absolutely. So tell me, there's good stress and there's bad stress, and we'll talk about the good stress at the moment. But the bad stress, as I understand from our chat in Accelerate, can have not just an impact on the brain, on your mental health, but actually physically on your body. Can you tell me a little bit about that? When we start to bring up the topic of stress, notoriously it's always thrown into the mental space. Okay, so you know, stress is just all in the mind and... and uh, that's not technically true. So when we start to measure stress, we can look at environmental stress, cultural stress, physical, metabolical. It's, there's lots of different ways in which we stress the body. What we do know, though, is that you will have signs that you're not coping. And these can be mental, physical, or emotional. They're very subjective. So our triggers or our early warning signs could be completely different. Some people say to me, I start to sweat. Some people say to me, I grind my teeth. Some people say that I get really angry and snappy really quickly. And these are just different ways in which people uh, start to learn about themselves and whether uh, they're showing signs that they're starting to, to be overwhelmed. And so when you start showing the signs of being overwhelmed, like that's an outward sign, but what's actually going on inside? So what we have, we have a system in the body which we measure. So I, if I said cortisol, most people would know that as the stress hormone. So we use biomarkers in the body to map your stress state. Let's stick with cortisol for now. 
If we can identify that you've got high levels of cortisol in the body, that's triggering a, a set of responses. For instance, the primary role of cortisol is to mobilize energy in the body. If we've got an increased amount, because that's for our fight or flight response, which most people would remember from high school. If we're accelerating the body like that, it's triggering a series of impacts and um, system changes that will allow us to cope with that fight or flight. Now, if we leave that untapped, we're constantly in a state of this accelerate, accelerate, accelerate in the body. And what that does is in order for us to create the cortisol, we start to hijack and rob the body of other hormones, which can have a huge effect on our emotional and our mental health. So let's unpack that for a moment because cortisol is like you just said cortisol is an activation hormone. So I'm guessing if I was an agent and I just pulled out the front of a house for an appraisal and I really wanted to get the listing, I would have a surge of cortisol in my body because I'm about to go into, I don't want to say I'm about to go into battle. I don't like using those words, but you know, like I'm, I'm on display, I'm on show. What happens if that goes unchecked? Yeah. So one of the big things about real estate is that we're always on show. It's, it's, it's the visual piece, isn't it? Like what's going on? Is there sold stickers on the board? Do they look the part, which I believe is, is not technically helpful, but, and then when I go in, they're going to judge me. So there's a fear of judgment. And so there's lots of layers in that simple question. But when I sit outside the front of someone's house, if I start to have that accelerated response and it's left unchecked, you can actually go into a bit of a panic. I, I can confess to you right now, I sat outside the front of a huge corporate boardroom and I heard the CEO come out and go, oh, there's a guy out there. I'm not sure what he's going to talk about. I think it's something to do with stress. And I went into this anxious state and I forgot what cortisol actually done in the body. <laughs> I went into a complete blind panic. I thought, oh, no. So... If we start to get that sensation, we get that rise and we don't have tools and tips to be able to bring that down in a short, sharp manner, it can actually affect well whether we get the listing or not, because that's important to us. But also we can actually send our triggers in the body a lot quicker if we don't get on top of it. So what are some tips for, for bringing those stress levels down? If you've sort of recognized that you're feeling the, oh my God, I'm feeling a bit stressed here. What are some ways to, to handle that better? The most obvious one, which is available to all of us, and it's out there, lots of people talk about, is the power of the breath. And breathing from a physiological point of view, you've got a link between your brain, your heart, your gut, and that vagus nerve. And we've got detectors in our body that, that work out the oxygen levels. And so when we get anxious, we get a tightening, we get a vasorestriction, we get all these physiological things that happen. So your breath, if you can do either a box breath or a two-in, two-out breath, something along the lines where we can start to control the oxygen levels, your brain goes, ah, okay, we got this. Because you can imagine the accelerated rise in the body, the heart rate increases, everything gets restricted, blood flow is restricted. Then we hold our breath. <gasps> Ah, so the key, <laughs> a, a key sign for us is we become top breathers. Yeah. So we start to breathe up into the upper part of our chest. Whereas if we want to be a diaphragmatic breather, we want to breathe deep down into the stomach. 
and that allows wider space for the lungs, more oxygen, without getting too techy. So if you're sitting in the car and you can feel your anxiety rise, practice the use of breathing. I know, it's, <laughs> I know that sounds obvious, but if you can use your breath, it becomes an anchor for the brain to go, we've got this, we're okay. I'm doing it now that you've mentioned it. I would always say to people, practice the power of the breath away from those anxious moments because the anchor in pieces becomes familiar for the brain. So I know that if I sit in a certain position, I put the tongue on the roof of my mouth and I hold my hands in a certain way, I now know that my brain goes, I know what we're doing. And it starts to already put the physiological reactions in place. It's a skill. It's not a superpower. It's not magic. It's a skill that we can teach the brain to do. And so when I need those skills, like when I'm sitting outside the <laughs> my first one, my first one mil listing. I'm sitting outside and I'm going, I really want this. This is going to be huge. Just use your power of your breath. Do you have any resources or anything like that? Like for, for that, I love the Headspace app. Is Are there any of your favorites that, you know, that people listening might like to go and check out? Here's the thing about the apps. The voice of the person telling the, notice how I changed my tone when I went into that. <laughs> the, the voice of the person that you're listening to is very subjective. The pace of the information, the actions and um, insights and cues or triggers that they give you are very subjective. So find someone you love by searching out and then double down on that person or that series. Because I know lots of people who jump onto an app go in and go, I really didn't like it. It wasn't for me, I really hated that voice in my head. And the second part to that is give it time because at the moment we get that. If we start to try and slow, we force the body to slow down. As soon as you close your eyes or start to relax, your mind will probably start to accelerate. That's interesting you say that because I know um, the guru at the moment is that guy, Joe Dispenza, isn't he? Like he's a, a favorite of everyone's except his voice just, I, I can't <laughs> listen to him because it sort of, it feels like, you know, he's uh I don't know, telling me off or something. I, I can't even right. can't even put my finger on it. So, you know, Andy from Headspace does, does a much better job. Yeah. Sometimes that voice will remind you of someone that, you know, maybe a teacher at school or something like that that just grinds you. Yeah. So, yeah, take your time with the, the apps and the resources and find the ones you love. But it is a, it's a journey. It's a discovery piece about yourself as well. So um, what you love... I might not love and therefore just go out and find it. But they do work, I promise. Now, speaking of discovery pieces, you and I, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we've been accountability buddies before and we are again in this crazy 30 days of Facebook Live challenge, Mm. which I started encouraged by somebody else. And I don't know about you, but it's been a bit of a journey for me because every time I press that live button, I sort of feel like I'm being attacked by a bear as well. I can tell you that my cortisol levels have gone through the roof. And and before you press the live button, it's just that moment of, do I smile? Will I look like I have wind? Will I, you know, like, is the thumbnail going to be ugly? What are they going to think of me? Like all of these things that we've just talked about. As a stress scientist, has it been the same for you? Yes. So I often get the question, 
oh, I suppose you don't get stressed in that sarcastic manner. So yeah, of course I get stressed. I've got a seven-year-old daughter for crying out loud. Um, but the, the key thing is that we don't want to stop the stress response in the body. If we're in, if we're in highly competitive environments like real estate, I need the accelerated response. I need you to you know, work fast, work hard, be highly focused, because that's, that's just the nature of what we ask. We just want to have the tools and the techniques and to identify those early warning signs quicker. And that's the key point I always get to people is, of course, I get stressed. I just recognize the signs quicker. And I've got tools in my toolbox that I can really double down and just bring my stress levels down to, so it doesn't impact my, or impact my performance. Yeah, I was watching your live video today and obviously there'll be, be a bit of a delay between us recording this and it being published and hopefully we'll be up to around about day 25. <laughs> 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 we'll hopefully be um, be almost finished. But there was something that you said today which really resonated with me in terms of we put these sorts of things out there and we feel like we're in danger and the body's stress response comes along and the brain does everything that it possibly can to keep us safe, to keep us from hitting that button, which is really interesting. But you had an interesting solution for getting past that feeling. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was? What you're talking about there is this, this, uh, this is the crux or the main piece towards the performance acceleration program. And it's the fact that this stress response is a bit archaic. It's, it's an old system and it actually contradicts against our new system in the front of the brain, which is all our complex executive functioning. So this got this old system that drives this stress response. Now it's, we don't have, I don't know, saber toothed tigers jumping out of bushes or <laughs> rarely do we have people that want to attack us anymore physically. No one's with, now I understand there are issues out there and there are things to consider, but for the majority of us, we don't have people attacking us on a daily basis. So where does this drive response come from? And this fear of judgment and fear of being ostracized is very deep within every human. We need to be part of this tribe. We need to identify who we are part of and how we contribute to that tribe. And that's, fear of judgment piece is about us going, what would they think of me? Will I be thrown out? What, will, what if they find out that I'm not actually as good as I pretend to be? And we, we had this process about, you know, where does my fear come from? Where did that stress level come from? What if they don't actually like me and they chuck me out? And that's a really big driver. And so one of the key things we always talk to people about is about, can you identify it within yourself? Can you stop and reflect to yourself and go, you know, are you doing the right things? Are you saying the right things? Are you being true to yourself? And what's your mission? How much drive and how much do you want it? Because that can often override the fear factor. I believe you're talking about the locker room. Is that what you were suggesting? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So... I've got a group called the, a community called the locker room and I call the locker room because it's another phrase we use for the ego and yeah, ego and real estate is often perceived as big egos, but our ego has got one main job and that is to keep us in our comfort zone. And so what we have to be able to do is we have to identify who our ego is. I just to confess to you now, what we do is we name our ego. On, on the program and we actually give our ego a picture 
my ego's name is Graham and it's like a health and safety worker because I know that Graham is trying to keep me away from pushing my boundaries. And he's trying to say, look, Chris, come back. No, don't do it. What happens if A, B and C happens? And so the locker room piece is about how big is your locker room and what conversations and topics are you telling yourself is keeping you locked in that safe space? Because we know the only way we grow and the only way we can move forward is by expanding that locker room and to challenge ourselves. Yeah, and asking ourselves, is it really true? That's such a good yeah. question. Is what I'm thinking really true? So the acronym for fear, I don't think it's new, certainly not mine, but the false evidence appearing real is that whole fear piece. So where does the fear come from? Well, it's the stories we tell ourselves in our brain. And how true is it? Because half the things that go on in my head, I think things that I'm thinking, not things that everyone else is thinking. Yes, exactly right. And so we, in our imaginations, in our brain, we tell ourselves this story about what might happen. And then when we reflect back on what did happen, we often focus on the negatives. Uh, my seven-year-old daughter will come home and I'll say to her, how was your day at school? She'll tell me the three top negative things that happened at school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's actually the way your brain's wired because your brain wants to focus on the negatives uh, because that's what keeps us safe. I want to identify what gave me harm or gave me threat. And remember, harm is not physical. It could be a men mental and emotional. What's challenged me today? I need to identify that so I can store it in my brain for later. That's all it does is it wants to identify what those negative things are to help us learn for the future. But what we can do is we can exaggerate that story and we can start to go into a negative spiral. So just check yourself, please. I was going to say, how do you get past that? Like, how do you stop that ruminating or spiraling or whatever? Like, what's a good checkpoint to get yourself out of that? Yeah, so what we end up doing is with a negative spiral, for instance, we might start in a space where, you know, in real estate, classically, we start to regress how much we push. Oh, I see agents that don't want to pick up the phone because they don't want confrontational calls anymore. I see people that don't want to go and do opens face-to-face -face because there's people there and that's confrontational. Door knocking. So, yeah, I don't, want to, I don't want to put myself out there because they've had a couple of negative experiences and then that has now regressed and they've convinced themselves that all experiences moving forward are going to be the same. Unfortunately, the only way you're going to get around that is by pushing through and exposing yourself to new experiences. This is why you and I must press on to day 30. <laughs> That's right. So let's talk routine because a lot of people say that routines are helpful in handling and managing stress. What sort of a routine of a morning would set you up for like a nice, calm, measured kind of day? So I've got, um, we've got layers. So if we talked about periodization in sport, that makes sense. So we map macro, meso and micro cycles in, in real estate, or we've got different jargon or terminology for it. But what I try and create is a rhythm. And that rhythm allows me to know what I'm doing and how much energy I need for that. And, and it gives me a sense of control. So my typical, I'd map my week out about what I want to achieve. I don't map it out. There's a negative twist. I don't map it out minute by minute. I need flexibility in my time. 
for instance, today, <laughs> today I'm in a random room that I didn't plan to be in, but here I am, we made it. What I do then is I, I figure out what I need to include in my day to set my best day up. For instance, I've got to get up. I love to exercise. That's how I start my day. Not everyone's a morning person, but that's just me. And then I need to eat because that's a priority for me. I know some people who start their day anxious often suppresses your appetite. So people say to me, oh, I can't eat in the morning. And that's a key indicator for me that they're not, they're not in control yet. Having said that, a lot of people are fasting at the moment as well. That's throwing, that's throwing a few curveballs out. So, yeah, I, I set my day up because I'm a little bit selfish in the morning and I have what I call the non-negotiables. I need some exercise. I need some fuel. I need to then allocate time in my day to map my day out. What I wanted to do at the beginning of the week is completely different now because things change constantly. And then I go in and I make sure that I'm getting my daily dose. And we can talk about dose if you like, but <laughs> dose is dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and my endorphins. And they're all hormones that do different things in the body, yeah? <laughs> they are. Yeah. They are. So I had a good dose of oxytocin yesterday cuddling puppies. Yes. Yeah. So oxytocin is your, your trust hormone. If you've ever had the pleasure of giving birth, then you know that the baby goes on mum's chest as quickly as possible because there is a chemical rush going on inside the body where high levels of oxytocin and it's a bonding hormone. So COVID is a really good example where we weren't allowed during lockdowns, we weren't allowed to socialize and these cameras and text beautiful, but it doesn't give us the same level of response. And so I would talk about the need for human connection. And then people would often say to me, yeah, but I live on my own. And I'll go, okay, so uh, have you got a pet? And they're like, yeah, so cuddling your pet, nothing better than a little snuggle up with the cat or the, the pooch. And that can drive that oxytocin um, secretion in the body. In fact, I've heard now that having a pet can extend your life by 10 years just because of the feel-good <laughs> chemicals that go on between you and the animal. I don't know about that. If you get hit by a bus, I don't know if that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All other things being equal. So that's a really strong conversation. Stress is something that we throw about now. And we understand it because it's stress and it's uncomfortable and it's mental health. Where we're missing the conversation is what happens if you don't get control of that stress. So we're now talking chronic levels of stress, stress and obesity, stress and chronic disease, stress and you know, cardiovascular disease. They're, they're highly linked. And there is, the, I mean, my mission in the background behind stress science and iPro and everything else like that is the fact that we've got these chronic issues that are occurring for us because it's all about push, push, push. And we don't think, feel like we've got the capacity to be able to go, do you know, I'm going to step back a bit and take some time out for myself because it's on demand all the time. And I don't see any light for a lot of people. Someone told me once, if you're feeling stressed to 
take a step back and take a walk because the act of getting out into the fresh air and taking a walk can actually really help you solve the problem. Whereas we think, oh, we've got a deadline, this is happening, this is happening, I've got to get this done by this and I can't possibly take myself mm. out of it. But that, in fact, is actually the solution, isn't it? Yeah. People will always... So some people are better than others at taking time out for themselves. Some people are consider themselves as selfish if they go and go for a walk because everyone wants five minutes of your time. Everyone's trying to steal your time away from you. And unless you actually start to go, do you know what, non-negotiables, I just need this 10 minutes to myself. The world's going to have to continue without me. But it's a really tough conversation. People can't, because they, they've got the idea that we're letting people down. Again, it's that, that conversation in our head, isn't it? It's the, if, if I let them down, will they dislike me? Will they be upset with me? And we end up just throwing ourselves under the bus believing that we're doing everyone else a favour. Yeah. What's the story we're telling ourselves around that? Yeah, that's right. And it's, and it's really, so the logical brain, if I sit in front of people and, and show them what it's like for them, and the logical brain will go, yeah, yeah, I see that. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I understand it. But then when they trigger back into their normal daily routine and their subconscious thinking and just that this is just who I am, they don't take any time for themselves. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult. And really, really, really important. Before we summarise, let's talk about sleep too because I remember in Accelerate you talked about the nighttime being routine being as critical as the morning one. Mm. So what do you think a good nighttime routine is for someone who is trying to lower their cortisol levels, trying to lower their stress? Sleep and the sacrifice of sleep is where we feel we're getting time back. So when... As an example, in my house, when you know your daughter goes to, to bed and your wife goes to bed and then all of a sudden you've got quiet in the house, that's when you can get things done. And that's really counterproductive uh, to your sleep routine. And we've got this thing called a journal pattern, which is a day pattern in the body. And then you've got a nocturnal pattern, which is a night pattern in the body. And both of them work together to create what most people know as a circadian rhythm. A, a flow, a body flow. And if we don't set up our sleep pattern, our night pattern correctly, it can directly impact our day pattern. Now we know this because if you have a rubbish night's sleep, you're a little bit cranky the next day. You're not really on form and you're probably looking at the coffee cup rather than, you know, your vendor list or your call list or whatever it might be that you've got to deal with. Now, this can actually start to become what they call bidirectional. So my term I use in my talks is that when the house goes quiet, the brain goes busy. So we actually get an accelerated response just before we go to bed. If we get that accelerated response, when by the time we get into bed, we can't shut down and sleep properly. And then we get this poor quality of sleep, which means when I wake up in the morning, I feel more tired, which actually means that I stress, negatively stress a lot quicker. So now all of a sudden my stress perception goes up, I'm more anxious, I don't sleep at night, and then we've got this horrible bi-directional loop. So that's an example of that when we talk about sleep. And sleep, Good quality sleep is a skill. I use that purposely because anyone can learn a skill. 
It's not magic. Although my wife is magic because she seems to just hit the pillow and start <laughs> sleeping. I, I don't know how that works, but uh, it's beautiful. I'm jealous. What we do know is that we call it sleep hygiene. The preparation for sleep and the pattern of preparing for sleep is just as important because again, your brain will go, right, I know what's coming up. I know where we're going and your brain will start to go through the different layers your brain waves they start to go through the different layers from the alphas all the way down to uh, the bottom layer which is you can get into your nice quality sleep routine and so when it comes to tools and tips at night if i said you've got to protect your last hour before sleep that would be no blue screens no anxious states no rising avoid alcohol <laughs> i know i'd love to talk about that if you've got the time but anything that's going to raise your blood sugar levels too high or increase your anxious state just before bed because uh, yeah that will impact the quality of sleep yeah it's interesting actually um i think you know i've got one of these aura rings uh, mm. you can't see it on the audio but it actually tells me like if i've had a couple of glasses of wine my heart rate won't will lower later and then my readiness score for the next day is not great. You can see how physiologically the alcohol affects your body. 100%. So if, if, we decide, if we start to drink alcohol, alcohol converts to sugar, sugar fuels the stress response. So, and again, that leads into a different conversation of why have I got these sugar cravings, Chris, or around about 2, 2 p.m., 2 to 3 p.m. in the afternoon, Chris, I really want to grab the bar of sugar. And so we know that this, the sugar fuels the stress response. Alcohol is the same. And it's great because it suppresses your inhibition and you feel quite relaxed and comfortable, but it also impacts your, your brain's ability and your body function. So people often say to me, oh, Chris, what are you saying now that we're not allowed alcohol? I go, no, no. But here's the flip. Here's the, here's the golden nugget. When we are stressed, we reach towards alcohol. It's a coping mechanism. It's escapism. We also reach towards Netflix because I don't have to think about work. It's a distraction for the brain. However, in a high-stressed environment, I want to avoid all of those things because they're not, they're not supporting me. They're actually pushing me further down into that, that stress spiral. So I say to people, look, if you can identify your early warning signs quickly, you need to cut out alcohol, cut out the sugar, increase your exercise levels. And that's your, that's your reset, your body, you're promoting your body's ability to be able to reset itself from that negative stress. Not that whole, I need sugar, I need sugar, I need sugar. Exactly right. Yeah. But yeah. we notoriously go the other way. Alcohol, sugar is our coping mechanism. Yeah. But it forces your body into the wrong state. Yeah. One more question, because a lot of people that listen to this podcast are in leadership roles, often like they'll see how their staff are performing on a regular basis and often a good leader can detect stress. If you're a leader detecting stress in your team, what is the best, what's the best couple of things that you could do for them? Well, it depends on that. So culturally, I would do a culture audit 
first, you know, what is it that's causing this? Is there a system process breakdown? And, you know, are we slowing things down, which is causing more stress to the sales team? I found things, doing a culture audit is a really good example. We had ops and sales in the same room. And sales want to ring bloody bells when they make sales and scream and shout across the office. And ops really want to be quiet and just get into their, you know, I want my calendar open, I want my spreadsheets open, I want to be able to figure it all out. And so the stress for the ops team was the sales team. And so they were distracting them. So they were falling behind on their work and the sales team are going, you haven't done that thing for me yet. And I need it by the, yeah. Yeah. So there's a really short example about why a culture audit is probably the key. The second thing is, look, let's start the conversation. So one of the biggest hurdles I have to tackle with highly competitive people is just admitting the vulnerability. And the beauty about what I do with the physiological testing is that people say to me, no, nah, no, nah, all good. Yeah, all good. Great. And I go, but your profile's not showing me that. And I've just completely knocked down the wall. Yeah, you're right. I'm not sleeping at night. I'm getting anxious. I'm really struggling. Like I'm getting snappy with the kids at home. You know, and that's really just a way to identify or to be able to drop down the barrier and admit that you're struggling, that you're, you've got vulnerability. Mm. And as a leader, we should be able to have that dialogue. Because remember, we've talked about it several times today. A fear of being judged or a fear of appearing weak is very real for all of us. So if I'm supposed to be this strong, successful individual, I'm going to find it very, very difficult to admit that I'm struggling. So good leaders, quality leaders will go, come on, let's just go for a quick coffee. Let's have a chat. What's going on for you right now? And those constant checks means that we get a very good temperature feel about how the team's traveling. And I love that tip about a culture audit as well, because I think sometimes, you know, our general reaction is to look at someone who we think is a little bit stressed and sort of go, okay, go home for the day, go and put your feet in the sand, all of the things that we've talked about. But actually mm. you're taking that up a higher level to say, well, that's just this, that's fixing the symptom, but that's not actually fixing the the root of the problem. And there lies the not so well kept secret. Yeah. Like once we are triggering, it's really easy to go, I need to step away from this. And of course, what are we trying to promote there? Because as soon as we step away from the stress environment, work, let's call it work. Um, okay, I feel better now, so I'm at home. So what now? Why don't you stay at home? Why don't you not bother coming to work? We, that's not a reality for us. So we're not fixing anything. We're actually just giving you a short-term relief. And if we don't have the tools to fix the issue, then we're just going to want to keep distancing ourselves from the stress. And that's not... We can't do that in high-performing environments. I don't walk into a locker room and tell athletes to sit this one out. This might be a bit hard today. Why don't you not compete today? It doesn't work. Mm. It's the same with us in competitive environments like real estate. I need you to be in there. I need you to want to be in there. But while you're in there, we need to make sure that you're functioning and you're high-performance and you're, if I said safe, that sounds dramatic, but it's, it's an area that I'm pushing more and more into. So interesting. It's fascinating. So, Chris, I want to thank you for um, hanging with me again today and sharing some of your knowledge with our listeners. It's been amazing. If there was one tip or one thing that you would like to leave everyone with, what would it be? Oh, 
Oh, one tip. One tip. Move. Move. Yep. I can't say enough that we underestimate the mobilization of the body. We sit in our car, we sit at our desk, we lie in bed, we sit on the couch, and we're not built to sit. We're built to move. Move outdoors. Cortisol will always dominate in the, the body's reaction. So if I'm in a stress response, uh, producing more and more cortisol will dominate because it's a fight or flight survival response. What we end up doing is we end up robbing the other hormones to create more cortisol. And a pro-hormone is something called vitamin D, which you know. Uh, vitamin D helps us build all the other beautiful hormones, but it, we get something called cortisol steel, where it starts to rob our body of vitamin D. So get out and move and get outdoors. Such a simple solution, isn't it? I know. We say it so much. We've had the same messages since school, like drink two litres of water a day and exercise and eat your veg. Um, it's just really, uh, it's the behaviour change that we're trying to promote here. And a good change it is to Chris Wilson. Thank you so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Elevate with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to download your written action guide from this podcast containing extra tips, links and shortcuts. Visit eliteagentelevate.com. 